0: Hey folks. Yeah. Danny. Yeah. You're here. I'm here. Nice to see you. Thanks for coming around. My pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> What's new? I've got um
1: a suspicion that successful comedy writer Sam Bain might have stolen my joke from Twitter.
0: Really? Yeah. So Sam Sam Bain uh, was the co-writer of Peep Show and other less successful programming. Yeah. Along with his partner Jesse Armstrong, who's been much more successful. Yeah. I mean, I hope he doesn't listen to this podcast. That's a bit of a dunk. So apologies that, Sam. But he's come into our life because he praised the uh, Logan song. Yeah, exactly. Your song. Well, I did the song. You You did did the great video. This is your song. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, he watched it on on Twitter and uh, said that he liked it, which is pretty exciting. Not as exciting as if Jesse Armstrong had done it. (laughs) So obviously, we're on Sam Bain's radar.
1: Yeah. Well, I follow both him and Nick DeSemlin from... uh, it's a general magazine. magazine and it, he's like inadvertently been a part of this whole Scorsese hates Marvel movie scandals because the quote that got uh, clipped where Scorsese said he wasn't a fan was from an Empire interview and somebody on Twitter was said something like why are they asking you know these clickbaity questions where they get old directors to sort of shit on new movies just to generate hits. And Nick December's was defending himself that it sort of came up naturally because the Irishman uses de aging technology, and he just sort of asked like if he'd seen other recent examples of it, so he wasn't like fishing for like a clickbaity yeah. answer.
0: Did you see Ant Man, Marty?
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then um, uh, Sam Bain replied to this kind of like back and forth Nick December had with this person on Twitter, saying something like, "Here, here, you are really lazy though," or something. Only oh, made them dig because they're mates. Right. And then I, in a classic Twitter thing, I'm like, hey, cool celebrities sort of hang out. I'll join in and we'll become sure. friends. Absolutely. I was like, I heard you ask Bellatar what he thought of Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets. And I was like...
0: <laughs> that's, that's such that's a, film, no, it's a film nerd no joke. Nick's going to love this.
1: Next day, Sam Bain was tweeting about this thing. He's like, oh, they're going to ask Michael Haneke about Hellboy or something like that. And I was like, I know that's the most obvious joke. I see. But I feel like... Michael Haneke and like Werner Herzog is like the non cineast go-to art house director. You know, I dug a bit deeper with like the you guy who made deeper. a seven hour Santango and then even deeper with like the even shittier <coughs> franchise movie. <laughs> so I think maybe Sam Bain saw that. Maybe sort of Maybe Sam Bain was it. like,
0: oh, this is a good joke, but I feel that Bella Tarr is too um, obscure. Yeah. And it's really going to land if you have a, an art house director that more people will have heard of maybe so, so he's massaged your joke he thinks he's improved it you probably think have he's done it down
1: he's done it i think jesse armstrong would have instantly hired me for succession season three if he'd seen it yeah yeah
0: yeah whereas sam bain's only gonna instantly hire you for like the old guys or, <laughs> <laughs> or whatever what's his new show doesn't he have some new new t- new tv show i don't know i'm not gonna watch it anymore no
1: after this no I mean, in reality, you probably didn't see that tweet and it's a very obvious joke to make. But I think he's thinking about time, you a lot, actually. yeah, How do you actually, th- actually think about it? He's, he's on it, your rethinking mind. Rethinking what I just said. Yeah. i take that all back. Yeah, no, take that
0: back. Yeah, because I think, I think you know, film chat is taking up a lot of space in Sam Bain's mind. I am enjoying the sort of like
1: old directors, uh, unsurprisingly, like not not like a man of the war so ma- i think mass market entertainment <laughs> my favorite one was like pedro motivar saying that like they're not sexual beings it's that was like good yeah. don't fuck and it's like you know what a you got a point there needs to be more sex in these marvel movies
0: i hope that kevin feige read that uh, comment and was like we need to hire a motivar yeah <laughs> <laughs> be inc- uh, yeah exactly a makes very colorful films you know, that have a like a lot of humour in them. So I feel like they'd fit right into the Marvel Universe. Like, he, he, They should have got Almodovar to make um, Thor Love and Thunder. Yeah, absolutely. It says love in the title, you know. So I, I think he'd be perfect for it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: you know, he uses a lot of uh, pathetic Thor- fallacy Thor's, in Thor's his movies. In that, so. <laughs> There'll be a thunderstorm. Yeah. They get caught in the rain or something. So
0: it's going to be a lot of passion in Thor Love and Thunder, I imagine. So There's I not enough passionate thunder, I think,
1: in the Thor movies in general. Mm. Not enough different uh, weathers and climates, I don't think.
0: Mm. Not enough thunder. <laughs> not enough thunder. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Not enough lightning. Yeah.
1: Um. Sorry, I was too busy thinking about a sick burn I could like release on the multi-billion <laughs> profitable Marvel franchise that would bring it to its knees. I've actually forgotten. It's the 200th time I've forgotten this, but why am I here? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Is this 200? Yeah. Oh shit, this is a big episode.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: Wow, thank God I've prepared something spectacular and and special for this huge round number episode. So, on the 200th episode of Film Chat, it's a perfect time to uh, remind us all this is a podcast about Annie Moran, a former artist struggling to make ends meet with his art gallery, ignoring bills and delaying to pay his assistant Gloria and his artist Manny. To survive, he is reading the obituaries and trying to convince the widows <laughs> that the deceased purchased a painting shortly before dying. <laughs> Things take an ugly turn when Annie is trying to scam the mobster Jean, whose father just died. Not only does Jean not fall for it, he tries to have his henchmen beat Annie up. Annie barely escapes by hiding in the Rolls Royce of Betty Kerner. Jean's estranged two-time ex-wife and wealthy heiress. Uh, Betty is excited about helping the handsome stranger, and the two end up, shortly thereafter, making love. Betty is being very impulsive. She wants to marry Annie in two weeks. Because of the heiress fortune, the news immediately makes the tabloids. Stuck between Betty, who won't change her mind, and Jean, who still loves his ex-wife, Annie doesn't like the idea of getting married with such short notice, but decides to play along for now. One morning at Betty's mansion, Annie seductively enters her shower naked, only to realize it's not Betty who's in there, but her sister, Sam, an art professor, If Annie is attracted to Sam, she stays very cold and distant, seeing him as nothing more than a gigolo who hit the jackpot. Annie decides to invent a fake twin brother, Danny, who wears glasses and has his head down instead of wearing a ponytail, who is allegedly a painter who just got back from Italy. Danny and Sam instantly hit it off, while Jean tries to romance Betty. Danny and Sam can't stop talking about everything. He plays with, his, with her dog and even invites at a Manny's studio when he's not in, pretending to show her his art. That would be the brilliant school ball comedy <laughs> premise of this podcast if it was a pod adaptation of the 1995 film Too Much, with two <laughs> spelt like the number two, starring Antonio Banderas, Melanie Griffith, and Daryl Hannah. Stead. Wow. <laughs> this is a, a podcast where we talk about and review films. I'm Sam Foster, and joining me a man who is his own fake twin brother, so he can have two girlfriends at once who are sisters, which is pretty cool of him. Danny Moran. <laughs> it does sound like the plot of like a porn film, in no a way. <laughs> <laughs> well, perhaps it
1: is. Uh, hello, hello. As this is our tenth episode, we'll be celebrating it by doing what we do best: giving lukewarm to sort of hatch your job reviews of films critics have already decided were shit but also films critics have decided were good. First up is Monos, the third film by Alejandro Landers, which recently won Best Film at the London Film Festival. Peter Bradshaw, writing for The Guardian, gave it five stars and called it an unforgettable immersion in terror. Maria Delgado, writing for Sight and Sound, hails Monos as one of the year's most extraordinary films. Its feverish visuals rupture any sense of surface realism, creating a disarming, surrealistic universe where anarchy takes hold. Whether I, Dame Moran, speaking for Film Chat, we tell telling you why it's complete garbage, not a waste of your time, and if you meet anybody who tells you it's good, they're definitely trying to sell you something, and they're a moron. Then Sam and I will join wow. forces to review The Laundromat, Steven Soderbergh's best film since Ocean's Twelve, a story about the Panama Papers scandal told with all the precision and coherence of Grandpa Simpson telling you why he used to wear an onion on his belt. So I tied an onion to my belt,
0: which was the style at the time. Now, to take the ferry cost a nickel,
2: and in those days... Nichols had pictures of bumblebees on him give me five bees for a quarter you'd say now where were we oh
1: yeah the important thing was that i had an onion on my belt which was a style at the time plus we get hot under the collar discussing dilftastic gay romance supernova starring hot dad stanley tucci and colin firth and try and figure out why daniel kaluuya is producing a live adaptation of everybody's favourite purple dinosaur-based kids' TV show, Barney. Why is he doing that? All of which should leave me just enough time to honour our 200th episode by listing the 200 reasons why we are the best film critics in the world. Number one, we are straight white men. That gives us a unique perspective on cinema. Number two, our favourite film is Fight Club. The best one. Number three, (laughs) our second favourite film is Heat the best one the second best one it's the second best one four our third favorite film is the dark knight <laughs> it's the third best one five between us we've seen all the bond films every single one between us you've seen them all by yourself yeah but, you don't even need me i don't know seven <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry six one time James Gunn replied to a tweet I sent him questioning why Star-Lord didn't die when he was in the cold vacuum space in (laughs) Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1. 7. We're the only people to really understand Blade Trinity. 199. Not afraid to love Green Book. (laughs) And 200
0: predicted the success of venom that's true which we actually did that's true yeah
1: (laughs) well i don't know if we predicted success but we were early champions
0: yeah i mean i thought it would be a flop but you know
1: but i was excited for it and luckily there were millions of people feeling the exact same way it just shows
0: that our tastes are the tastes of the masses
1: yeah man populists
0: yeah all right great great reasons to listen to this going from strength to strength podcast yes
1: let's continue
0: (laughs) (laughs) Films, 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 lots of films, 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 movies, good films, bad films, fun films, sad films, films we love, weird films, last von Trier films, old films, new films, some John blue films, films that star Peter Fitch, films by David Lynch, films, short films, six hours long, we've got films up to your With films, 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 movies Are you feeling comfortable? Film chat has begun There's a little bit of uh, correspondence that we received on our Facebook page uh, Which is a little old now, but we haven't yet got around to talking about it So I think we're going to dive back in to the archive Uh, Alan Gibbons, who is one of the top listeners to the podcast just because there's not that many of them also because we don't know him personally so that's always very exciting he left the following comments on one of our episodes i recently stumbled across your podcast and i'm enjoying the style and attitudes thank you thumbs up thank you very much inevitably i have begun downloading the episodes where you review films i have seen this one is the first roma i went to see it with high hopes despite alarm bells ringing in my ears ref personal vanity project Now, I concur that the film is often interesting and at times beautiful, however the film itself is kind of wretched. (laughs) Why? Well, it is basically the lame musings of a cosy middle-class boy who seems to believe that HIS father leaving HIS mother is far more significant than anybody else's father doing so. I wanted to shout out, oh do get over it. Then, as well as this gratuitous wallow in self-pity, we also have to endure his privileged guilt at the fact that he was looked after by maids who had little power or say over their own lives. To assuage his guilt about this, he devotes much of the movie to following the kind of life the maid might have led in her moments of freedom from servitude. This was so random, half-baked, and ridiculously condescending on every level. Meanwhile, the cast were amateurs, and it showed. They were all upstaged by the dog, who gave the only naturalistic performance, (laughs) and stole the show. The climax was a cheap and uncreative crescendo idea, and the scene on the beach was the equivalent of the epic setup of the chariot race in Ben-Hur actually ending up depicting a tiddlywinks match. (laughs) this was glossy self-indulgent tosh first class still you guys were not the only ones taken in by it wow so first of all i want to say thank you for listening and cheers alan and i and i think it's a kind of a compliment that he was anticipating we would have a better take on roma than we did sorry to let you down buddy we (laughs) i think we disappointed alan gibbons by liking roma it's true but i guess this gives us an
1: opportunity to revisit it you know a year on yeah, are you Team Gibbons or Team uh, Sam Foster Twenty Eighteen?
0: I would say that <laughs> Team, team <laughs> Sam Foster Twenty Eighteen. No, I don't know. I mean, I'd probably have to rewatch it. I, I do. I did like after seeing the film, uh, read some critical reviews of it that uh, I did have some time for. So I'm not, you know, I don't completely reject the idea that it might be uh, a load of balls. It is such a sort of glossy and beautiful film and it's in this like crisp black and white and it's straining to you know be as prestigious as possible and I think that's very um very yeah. obvious and you know there's also something to be said about the way that the perspective of the film is like he's attempting to tell the story from the perspective of the maid but is not really able to sort of eradicate his own yeah, perspective yeah. you know so she's a little bit of a passive protagonist I think in that way so I can kind of I can kind of see like I can I can see where Alan Gibbons is coming yeah, from yeah, what about you? Are you reevaluating your, your take on Raymer after this devastating. Uh,
1: no. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, like, how do I phrase this? It's like critiquing the movie for an impossible task. Like, he hasn't fully embodied a person he isn't, you know, his, his own childhood. Yeah. I guess. Would, he... it, would it be a better movie if it was just about him, like, as a kid? Or, like, is it, like, just the effort to try and, like, empathize with somebody who was, like, a huge part of his
0: life, just inherently. Uh, snobbish or well I, I guess like I guess you know everyone tells stories like if you're if you're a writer or you know whatever of yeah. any of any stories you're always trying to put yourself in the position of somebody else and tell, the, tell yeah. a, a story from their perspective um, unless it's just autobiographical but I guess part of what Roma is clearly about is this like um, uh, well this I mean one of the things I remember talking about in the initial review is how rich the background texture of the film is there's always stuff going on you know yeah. in, the, in the background of scenes and you get this kind of sense that this is just one life as rich as any other you know it's mm-hmm. a bit like you know you know a lot of people ignore the maids but actually their inner lives are as are as rich and complicated as any of ours you know and I, yeah, think, yeah. I think like there is a bit of that in the movie and you could certainly see that see that as condescending since yeah. he's the the sort of he's straining to elevate the the the, the mundane material to the like realms of you know spectacular great cinema but like yeah that's true but
1: i also think that it's not entirely clear if the mom's supposed to be sympathetic or not she's not that nice and then she's a bit nicer when she's pregnant but i don't i think the movie's so like open-ended that you could view it as like he's a bit critical about his parents yeah like it's not a clearly like a rose-tinted view of like his perfect family and they were so nice to the person who worked for them no, like, no, I definitely, I,
0: I definitely think it seems pretty clear from the film that like the, the circumstances of her life are like restrict what she is able to do yeah, yeah. significantly and like clearly the family plays a role in that because they've hired her. Although yeah, they're yeah. sort of broadly speaking benevolent family that, that she has real feelings for. Mm. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I'd, yeah, maybe I'd have to go back and rewatch it. It's well, not. F- it's streaming on Netflix, streaming on Netflix. right, right it's now. Not, it's not a film that people really talk about that much. Right? That's true. Kind of a bit of a it's, Maybe it's faded a little band. bit in the memory. These sort of like glossy black and white films like this in the artist, whatever that people. Oh, get really, yeah. remember the artist. People get really excited for for a bit and then kind of like you know vanish. Yeah, yeah. I true. think like I just uh, I I enjoyed the fact that it was such a sumptuously made film like what, <laughs> that was about you know very poor Mexicans that was in their um their language like I don't know it it, it was a it was a, it was a different kind of movie to be made so I sort of enjoyed that aspect of it. But. We look forward to Alan Gibbons' review of this re-review. Ooh. This, I, I hope he still listens. I think maybe well, he's on Facebook. You can always send him a message. Yo, Gibbons. Do you think it's like too much intervention in the in the lives of our listeners if we're individually messaging them and saying like, can we, "We're can, at the point. Can, we... can you keep <laughs> Can you keep interacting with us, please? We've got
1: more episodes than listeners. <laughs> 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 we, need, we need to do. We need to do something. Yeah, <laughs> I think a desperate one-on-one playing to our listeners. I think is the way forward. It's how to
0: build an audience? I mean, it's not unlike. You know, what I've been trying to do with, like, my local labour stuff is, like, reach out to individual people, go for coffees for them, like, try to get them (laughs) on, we need grassroots marketing. Yeah. (laughs) It's the only way forward. We've tried everything else. (laughs) It's the only thing we're good at. (laughs) Fuck, like, like, buying Facebook ads or whatever. It's time to do this. build build our base one by one. Wouldn't it be great
1: if Cambridge Analytica came to us as, like, there are hundreds and hundreds of people who would love your podcast.
0: (laughs) We need some dark money. Yeah. Do you know any... uh, any dark money people? <laughs> Any oligarchs? Um, let me check my, um Do we have a contact for Steve Bannon? No. No. Not yet. Right. But we could just
1: DM him, slide into his DMs.
0: Yeah, at Steve Bannon. Or <laughs> to, at Stephen K. Bannon. Yeah. All right, let's do that. Okay. All right. It might put off some of our listeners if we become like an all right, you know, uh, outfit, but whatever. We got a big audience. Yeah. I want to be the new Joe Rogan. We got big fish to fry. I want to smoke a debut of Elon Musk it'd be fucking brilliant that'd be brilliant I Can't want to know what Elon Musk thought about Rome he'd probably agree with our review
1: yeah he loved it yeah he loved it did he that's, that's slag. musky <laughs> that's slag
0: superhero films announced casting rumours leaking out M. Not film is hated Paul Thomas Anderson's his fated Meryl Streep's Oscar tips Matt Damon's in a viral vid Michael Bay's made a mint that's
2: the news that's fit to print
0: so, Daniel Kaluuya, who, a uh, British actor, started off in Skins, then has really made it big, was in Get Out and uh, Black Panther and all sorts of things, uh, and is, you know, generally doing very well for himself. Um, his, he has announced the latest project. He's uh, producing a film this time, and he's teaming up with the toy company Mattel to make a live-action Barney the Dinosaur film. He'll produce the film uh, based on the character of Barney the Dinosaur, who hosted the show Barney and Friends from 1998 to 2009. Uh, This is what Kaluuya has to say about Barney. Barney was a ubiquitous figure in many of our childhoods. Then he disappeared into the shadows, left misunderstood. We're excited to explore this compelling modern-day hero and see if his message of I love you, you love me, can stand the test of time. Specifics of the plot are yet to be revealed. This is according to The Guardian. But uh, Mattel Films' Robbie Brenner has stated that the film will take some unexpected turns. So that's quite reassuring. Um, it won't be just completely expected, everything that happens with it. This is what Brenner says Working with Daniel Kaluuya will enable us to take a completely new approach to Barney that will surprise audiences and subvert expectations. What the fuck is he going to do? <laughs> film? The project will speak to the nostalgia of the brand in a way that will resonate with adults while entertaining today's kids.
1: Right. So that's why you got to make it, right? You've got to get all the 90s nostalgia, all those people who have grown up and had kids. Yeah. You release it in half term, there you go. They'll be like, Money I, in the bank.
0: I watched this when I was a child. And now, now I have a child of my own. We shall watch it together. We shall, we shall watch it together. <laughs> um, yeah, when is this live actually? Because
1: it was played by just some guy or girl in a, in a suit. Sure. Is it going to be like the Whoopi the- Goldberg film Theodore Rex? Yeah. <laughs> Or is it going to be like a CGI creation like Paddington? Like what's the tone going to be? Is it going to be like a Muppets movie? Mm. Many different directions. I wouldn't say there's like a rich lore. you know, it's like... Do
0: do you remember what happened in a typical episode of Barney and Friends? There
1: was just like
0: some kids and they would learn some sort of lesson
1: like about how it's good to share or, you know... Yeah. You know, it's very simple, nice stuff. Be nice to your fellow humans. And then he'd sing the song, I love you, you love me. Yeah was, you know, peace and love and, you know, good world to mankind's mankind. Hard to disagree with. Um, sure. Why I mean, not? They, there's
0: there's been a bunch of these announcements before. I mean, it's a bit like when they announced the Lego movie and it was like, all right, this toy will just get a film now. And that turned out to be good. And then they had the emoji movie where the emojis themselves got their own film and that seemed to turn out to be crap. So maybe it will be somewhere in that sort of realm, you know, where they're just something which is not obviously narrative or somehow get a narrative. I don't know. Why not? why not so uh, <laughs> what, what would be your preferred uh, form would you like to see a guy in a suit would you like to see a photorealistic dinosaur <laughs> who looks like he could have actually roamed the earth in a prehistoric era <laughs> uh, but he's friendly and he loves you Yeah. How, how, would you, how would you like to see it go would you like to see a sort of who framed roger rabbit style cartoon in a live action no I'd, I'd like to see a sort of
1: like eye bleedingly hd <laughs> cunning edge technology yeah. photorealistic dinosaur
0: I think maybe he's kind of like a T Rex, isn't he? Yeah, Barney?
1: he'll they'll get him out of a block of ice or whatever. But it turns out dinosaurs could always speak, and they were very wise, kind mm. beings. And he just teaches us like what we've forgotten. You know, we like to think that we're the most civilized, you know, species on the planet. But in fact, the dinosaurs had it all sussed. It was a utopia, the, d- the dinosaur period, the Jurassic period. If wow, you will. this is cool. And uh, so it's
0: a totally alternate history. Yeah. For the world.
1: Yeah, and he's like, he watches Jurassic Park and he's just like horrified. (laughs) He's like, we would never do that. We'd never do that. We'd never do that. We'd never do that. And uh, yeah, he basically, it's like Paddington. He just His message of peace and love just melts the hearts of all the curmudgeons that he finds himself living with. And uh, he's he's the the president.
0: Who do you think should voice President Barney? President Barney. (laughs) Um, Not suggesting that he's voiced by a different actor when he becomes the president. (laughs) <laughs>
1: I mean who's the sort of Ben or type M- Morgan nice... Freeman perhaps Morgan Freeman Or, maybe, or uh, Ian McKellen Yeah Ian McKellen Or um, Judy Dench maybe Yeah Judi Dench Be a good shout James Corden maybe <laughs> Just one of the cast of Cats Taylor Swift <laughs> There's just names in a hat at this point <laughs>
0: <laughs> Taylor Swift is Barney the Dinosaur <laughs> That'd be good Yeah it'd be good wouldn't it Yeah Yeah why not do you think that this is like there's an element of uh, like uh, stunt uh, producer casting or something where they get it makes more of a new story? We, we're only talking about this because Daniel Kaluuya is. Uh, That's true. It's going to going to produce it. So maybe they're just going to get him on just so people are like this is intriguing. Yeah. And, yeah. The, and, the, and the company says the, the story will take unexpected turns. So, you know, now, we, now I wouldn't have been excited about a Barney the Dinosaur movie otherwise. But now that I know that the star of Get Out is going to be producing it now, I'm intrigued. I want to watch it.
1: Yeah, because his previous, like, Black Panther, Get Out, and Widows were, like, all very explicitly about, uh, like, African-American experience or the black diaspora, African... Yeah. And, like, his upcoming movie, like, Queen and Slim's about a sort of black body and Clyde. So is this going to be, like, a heavy racial allegory, Barney, or something? Not to, like, you know, that's the only thing you can do now. You are (laughs) the young black star of Hollywood, so you must only exclusively make movies about race.
0: Maybe that's why this project appealed to him, because he's like, I'm getting, you know... Uh, like not typecast, over, but I'm being put in this box. Yeah, yeah. And I have got to break out. I have got to make a purple dinosaur film. What? what, what they, they won't expect me to do this. They won't see this coming. They're going to see this coming.
1: See this coming. All power to him. You know why not?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the the thumbnail on the tweet about this had uh, Daniel Collier looking very serious, but the the uh, the main picture in the in the Guardian story, he's looking much more cheerful. His his expression is actually much more closely resembles that of Barney the Dinosaur. Oh, that's a good sign. So that that is a good sign. I mean he's, he's a very happy dinosaur, this guy. <laughs> <laughs> um hey, do you have any more anything more to add on Barney?
1: No, I think I've maybe exhausted We covered it. <laughs> yeah. we it.
0: Okay,
2: great. I love you. You love me. We're a happy family with a great from me to you won't you say you love me too (laughs) whether it's rainy or sunny you're all very special to me
1: exciting news this week we haven't discussed this film before but the film supernova has got distribution (laughs) Guys, (laughs) and I, <laughs> guys, <laughs> what? it's going to be in cinemas. You're going to be able to see it. It's been made. Yeah. Supernova is a romance starring Colin Firth and Stanley Tucci as a longtime couple on a road trip. And one of the characters, one half of the couple, uh, has got dementia. And it's uh, about their relationship as they sort of navigate how to deal with the illness and reflect on their time together. But i got to say, the pairing of Colin Firth and Stanley Tucci is like a... Like old gay couple. I'm so on board. They're such charming, urbane men. I already want to go. I want to hang out with these characters
0: already. I want to go to their dinner parties. Yeah, I mean, this has got the the kind of uh, like cast and premise that could be made into one of those like fun romps, like Las Vegas or like, <laughs> you know, best yeah, yeah. exotic marigold hotel type thing. You know, I feel like that that kind of crowd would absolutely love this. But the the sort of pedigree of it looks closer to something like 45 years. Yeah and i think maybe they'll try to nail both audiences at once i'd be really interested to see what the posters <laughs> look like for this and maybe they'll have like two separate really photoshopped faces two separate like... marketing campaigns <laughs> yeah like one which makes it look like you know, this real art house darling movie um like a cleo barnard film or something yeah and then like another one which is uh yeah it looks like kevin klein's going to be in it and you know <laughs> a j <Jay> roach movie <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Just like fun, old... It's your it's your two favorite dads hanging out.
1: They are. They're great. I'm looking forward to it because inevitably my mum will want to go see it. And I'm, you know... These Grey Pound movies, as they're referred to, they make a lot of money, but they're often very patronizing to the audience and a bit broad yeah. and a bit crap. And there's jokes about people taking their medication and they, they can't get out of chairs very quickly or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, I mean, this is... Kind of going back to what like Scorsese was saying, right? There's not enough room for adult entertainment outside sort of Oscar season. You know, it's all a bit too emphasized. Yeah. My mum doesn't want to see Ant-Man and the Wasp and the other Wasp, or whatever the third one's going to be called. Do you want to see... <laughs> <laughs>
0: that would be a good title, though. <laughs> you know, Darcy and Tushy. Yeah. Getting it on. Getting on. But do you think, like... Um- so... This casting, do you think it might have been influenced by the fact that Colin Firth has played another prestige gay role in A Single Man, and Stanley Tucci is kind of gay in uh, Devil West Prada? Yeah, and burlesque. And burlesque, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I don't know. These, it's just one of those kinds of films that rarely seems to star, like, actual gay, like men. Actual gay men. Actual gays. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think there's, there's still, like, an underrepresentation of... sure. You know, these like gay gay dramas, but maybe that's just an outcome of there not being as uh, that many out gay a listers.
1: Yeah, we need to get McKellen. This and... is just this
0: is just another 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 part of my you know general feeling that roles in films should be adopted by people who already have the characteristics that are required for the role. Sure, but I don't know. There's I think there's something like. For whatever amount of daring Still exists about seeing Gay relationships Or gay people in movies So it somehow Kind of reduces it If they act They're played by straight actors sure, It's like yeah, they're yeah. only acting You yeah. know You're not seeing real Like really gay people You know Yeah They're just, they're just pretending So mm. I don't know I feel like there's Some element of that It's true uh, But yeah But no I'd happily watch uh, These two guys Bumbling about I mean dementia based films You know Do not super appeal to me Because it's so It's just so awful Such an awful thing To happen to a human
1: Yeah Well, I like like you know sort of the fact that they're gay is almost like that's not the point of the movie. It's not like that he's HIV positive or something, right? It's not like a gay centric uh, illness or you know or something that's perceived to be only afflicting the LGBTQ community. That's true. You know, by you know just going by the uh, the synopsis, it could be just like a straight couple, right? But you know why not? I don't want to see poor Lindsay Duncan or harriet walker one of those
0: dames sort of like wheeled out (laughs) around you know
1: they've probably played this role four thousand times Let tushy do it or firth
0: or both i'm i think maybe a third demographic that the film will appeal to is people who like the trip
1: yeah (laughs) do you reckon they'll be doing impressions
0: (laughs) i really hope so i really really hope so yeah
1: that'll be good that'll be good that'll be
0: good wouldn't it and now for Danny to review a film he recently saw. Was it staggeringly brilliant? Was it ask a poor? How did Danny form a judgment? We're about to hear his thoughts. If he does a rubbish job, then Sam will tell him off. All right, Danny, review a film for me. Sometimes I feel like this podcast is a bit low energy, so I just wanted to... Come on, yes, let's go. Okay, cool. <laughs> okay, so this
1: film is called Monos. Yeah. It is written by Alejandro Landers and Alexis Dos Santos. And is directed by Alejandro Landez. There's the synopsis. On a faraway mountaintop, eight teenage gorillas with guns watch over a hostage and a conscripted milk cow. Playing games and initiating cult-like rituals, the children run amok until disaster strikes and they're forced to retreat into the jungle. Uh, it's all in... Uh, well the director's colombian i think it's all in spanish or uh, language i don't speak <laughs> <laughs> it's all in some other foreign i just language. i just realized i don't actually it's, it's deliberately vague i'll get onto to this point it's not clear where and when it's set but it has got a score by mika leve so let's listen to a bit of the score where the clip would normally go <whistles> Another classic Mika Levy, I threw a dog at a chair, played it backwards, through a viola carved it into a wax cylinder I don't know, I like the musical vocabulary but that kind of strange soundscape stuff is all very affecting and I think it's by far the best thing about the movie and is doing a great job of conjuring the atmosphere of the film uh, the film Monos thinks it is I uh, hated it well, <laughs> I thought it was a terrible, terrible movie and I think it's a real case of Emperor's uh, New Clothes and I have the wide-eyed innocence of a child, and this movie is butt naked. So it's got yeah. this cool score, and it's undeniably beautifully shot by the cinematographer Jasper Wolf. Uh, but it's just about nothing. It's a sort of meaningless, uh, vague, vague movie. It reminded me a bit of *Beasts of No Nation* in that the director has, thinks that it's mysterious if you don't like name what's going on. But it's just like uh, vague and dull and aimless and it's just so desperately shallow and empty and i feel like it's and it's all like affect affect
0: it's all affect? it's all affect yeah just mood and tone
1: yeah but it's also quite tonally flat because it's just random scenes of like the kids sort of lord the flies territory and then a sudden burst of violence and then it just repeats that endlessly diminishing each time in effectiveness until it ends and it's just like, I can just imagine the director has watched Gear Wrath of God, way too many times. He's like, I've watched Apocalypse Now. If you go in the jungle, uh, you know... The jungle goes into you. Yeah. Has there, has there been a movie where someone goes in the jungle and they're just like, totally fine? <laughs> <laughs> I would totally watch that film. Ray Mears uh, show, maybe? Yeah, and th- the way I would describe it in my... If I haven't been snarky enough, is that... Uh, <laughs> It's like you know Vice, the magazine Vice. If you go on their YouTube channel, it's like we hunted the radioactive boars of Chernobyl, or like we met a bunch of cannibals. It's just like this like annoying hipsterish thing in the world. And I think like when people say something's like a really hipster thing, it's often just a byword for pretentious, which is definitely true here. But I think it's the worst sort of definition of it is that it's like just using culture as like a fashion accessory. Yeah, It's just like it's like ah, uh, you know, I've got a Hemingway. Quote tattooed on me, and I write in a moleskin, so I'm basically a novelist. It's like I've gone to the jungle, I've shot some random shit, it's all visual. There's like shots of a lake, people crying, there's got this big moody score. I hated it, I thought it was possibly the worst film I've seen this year. I don't know, maybe yesterday (laughs) it's up there. (laughs) Like, I just think it's a completely empty, shallow, meaningless film, and I'm definitely more annoyed by it because it's getting so much love and praise. And it's like, I feel like. You know, I'm not the smartest tool in the shelf. You, an idiot can see there's
0: nothing going on. Yeah. And if you're
1: sucking in by it, then that reflects badly on you. Entire uh, critical reaction.
0: Can I can I uh, offer a of comparison just from what your yeah. critique reminds me of? Is it anything like uh, like Iñárritu film? You know, like The Revenant or something? Where yeah. It's like, you know... I think it's something that the greatest film critic of our time, Film Crit Hulk, uh, once wrote about, about like... Um, uh, in movies, being uh, only going for one tone, which is like soulfulness, and yeah, so they, it end is up, they end up they end up feeling that. very even and not, you know, it's just it doesn't really hit you in the way it ought to because there's no build to anything; it's just this one continuous thing.
1: It's not, but it's yeah, and it's also just the feeling that the movies like above. Uh, too good for normal yeah too yeah. normal for your normal. like i find i'll spoon feed you some uh you know story and i'm like yeah that would be good mate you know like yeah, <laughs> yeah. i'll just shoot a tree and just <laughs>
0: call it a film i'll <laughs> just shoot a tree call it a film i don't know yeah, uh you wouldn't steal a car you <laughs> wouldn't you wouldn't shoot a tree
1: yeah mollus is stealing it's wrong <laughs> yeah so uh, yeah i've i've got very uh i've got nothing else to say about it there's nothing going on in the film You know, it's like the character called Smurf. It's like, you know, reviewing a book comprising of one word. You know, what what do you want to say?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. I won't watch it. I won't watch it. Yeah, don't watch it. I won't watch it. Sam and Danny both watched a film and they decided to record a few opinions on the things they saw. You're gonna hear them in a moment or so. There could be angry disagreements, but their views are normally quite close. A joint review shared between two podcast brothers. Do
2: they let one another speak or do they interrupt each other? The light is on. The guys are in, so let the chat begin.
0: Should we review a film which, it's definitely, some stuff definitely happens in it.
1: Yeah, stuff definitely happens in this one, so it must be good.
0: The Laundromat is a new film from Steven Soderbergh. He retired a while ago, but films under his name keep getting (laughs) made and released. So I don't know what the fuck is going on. His evil twin. Yeah. (laughs) Somebody calling themselves Steven Soderbergh insists on making films. This is a Netflix release. It's one of these movies, it's got like an extraordinarily starry cast, but I haven't really noticed very much like marketing for it. And there's some. I get this like weird sensation with these Netflix films that look like they should be a big deal, but they just turn up when I'm browsing <laughs> the internet. And it's like, oh, Meryl Streep's in a new film with Antonio Banderas and Gary Oldman and it's directed <laughs> by Steven Soderbergh. What? And it's already out. Like, what the fuck? I've never heard of this. So you always have this vague sensation that you're watching some kind of like, uh, I don't know, knockoff version of like <laughs> a great film. But obviously, yeah, this uh, is the real deal. And uh, I guess the... The, the snippiest way to describe it is that it's kind of doing for the panama papers and uh, the Mossack Fonseca law firm what the big shorts did for the uh 2008-9 financial crisis it's like taking a, a big story of global proportions and financial uh, misconducts and turning it into a snappy poppy film where people talk to the camera and there's a lot of like asides and they're kind of explaining stuff yeah. it's like edutainment you know um, so uh, the in the Panama papers, there was this big massive leak of documents from this law firm based in Panama called Mossack Fonseca, about how they were essentially helping uh, conduct tax avoidance on a global scale for all sorts of different people, politicians, companies, hiding enormous amounts of shell companies um, in various tax havens and helping them to to avoid tax and basically hide their money. No no one you know knew what was going on, and then they, all this all these revelations came out of it. And the film uh, essentially follows mainly, although it goes off on a, a lot of tangents, as we'll talk about, many he follows a woman called Ellen Martin, played by Meryl Streep, who suffers an accident at the beginning of the film, uh, seeks compensation from this uh, cruise company and isn't able to get it, and she sort of follows the trail of what's really going on, and it kind of leads back to Mossack Fonseca. And a lot of that story is intercut with Gary Oldman playing Jürgen Mossack and Antonio Banderas playing Ramon uh, Fonseca, talking to camera about their evil uh, wealth, Hiding schemes, um, and then there's various other stories that kind of come out of it. And it has this very loosey goosey structure.
2: Now, privacy and secrecy are two different things. Privacy is locking the bathroom door when you want to take a pee. Secrecy, on the other hand, is locking the door because what you are doing in a bathroom isn't what people usually do. And sometimes, uh, after privacy has had a few drinks, he might decide he wants to. Spend the night with a secrecy, just to explore their relationship. But where can they be together without people peeking in through the curtains? Well, usually in an offshore company. That way, if someone looks in a the window, they see an empty
0: room. So, uh, it's a mess. I mean, <laughs> the film is a real is a real mess. I think like on, in sort of like a traditional way in terms of like a satisfying narrative or telling a coherent story that goes from A to B, it's not especially successful. And it feels, it's a bit like, you know, um, when they try to jazz up the news, you know, and like introduce (laughs) loads of, when they're sort of explaining some complex thing to you on the news and they suddenly like introduce loads of graphics and just sort of throw them at the screen. And it's like, here's what's really going on. It's a bit like that with like a listers sort of stretched out to, to the length of an entire film. Um, but I there I, I found it quite entertaining. I think a, a lot of it yeah. because of Gary Oldman and Antonio Banderas's like smug evil double act. Yeah, it's just it's just quite enjoyable. I enjoyed Gary Oldman's like, thick German accent. Yeah, the the chameleon master like <laughs> Gary Oldman just like hamming <laughs> it up
1: so much. Yeah,
0: so so hammy, uh, and all that stuff is rather fun. It's got an incredibly starry cast. Basically, every scene. Features someone who's only in that one scene and they've hired the most famous actor possible to play them so there's there's some entertainment to come out of that um, and i think it ultimately it suffers in a similar way to um the big shorts which is that it's kind of caught between two purposes on the one hand you want to explain something that's technical in a way and break it down in a way that's easy for an audience to to, to comprehend and on the other hand you need to also get across what it means you know yeah and i think the problem with the big short is that it spent a lot of time trying to tell you about CLOs and CDOs and stuff and I think it, it didn't really tell you what it actually all meant so yeah. you kind of come out of it feeling like you were taught loads about the financial world but you actually don't really know you just have a collection of acronyms that you've seen explained to you by Margaret Robbie in the bath or whatever and I think this movie is kind of similar like tells you about shell companies uh, and, and everything like that and it kind of breaks it down and gives you these long speeches but ultimately what you get out of it is like the rich are bad and they're ripping you off yeah, you know? yeah something like that and it and it, and but it, it doesn't really delve much deeper than that and there's not there's there's a lack of a, a real structural explanation for what they're saying it's just like rich guys are, are fucking awful uh they only care about themselves and they want to rip everybody else off and that's the way the world works and it's like i don't disagree with that you know message <laughs> um but it lacks profundity you know yeah absolutely and it's so it's kind of slapdash in the way it's thrown
1: together. It feels, I feel like a kind of hallmark of Steven Soderbergh's later work is that even his good movies feel like two drafts off being a lot better. Mm. Even something like Logan Lucky, it's like, I feel like... If, I really liked Logan Lucky. No, I did. Yeah. Me too, but I feel like the ending is sort of like a bit odd in that movie and it's like they haven't quite... Nails some of the moments, yeah. but it's still, like, really entertaining. And, uh, like, High Flying Bird feels, like, a bit like he shot it over a weekend. Oh, even very, though it's very, High really... Flying Bird,
0: shit, I'd actually forgotten about the movie, yeah, very much so.
1: And this one is a bit like, uh, yeah, it does feel a bit like a first draft in that the Meryl Streep character just, like, disappears for, like, a full 40 minutes. And then it becomes, it goes from the big short template into a sort of, uh, kind of reminded me of the little scene movie Fast Food Nation, which is like Richard Linglade's, it's like Love Actually, but about McDonald's, well, like loads of little short stories about the fast food industry. It kind of becomes like that kind of structure. These, lo-
0: these long digressions into these short stories. Yeah,
1: yeah and it, I think the movie definitely gets like worse as it goes on. Like the sort of zippy Goodfellas stuff explaining shells and how, you know, money's moved around is quite fun. But and then it kind of ends in a sort of memorably misjudged kind of six form drama moment, which I just found myself like rolling my eyes at so much. The like. very very
0: <laughs> final grace note is terrible. Yeah, is like comically dreadful.
1: Sort of call to arms.
0: Yeah, should we should we just give it away? I mean, yeah, it's I not mean, like <laughs> end of the plot. So like, um, uh, the move the actual Panama Papers leaks occurs towards the end of the film, and the uh, anonymous uh, hacker. Who released the panama papers wrote a manifesto and at the end meryl streep delivers part of this manifesto as a kind of monologue to camera in which she's stripping off her costumes and turning from characters into meryl streep then into the statue of liberty and then the very end of it yeah she kind of looks directly to camera and kind of adjusts her clothing in order to resemble the statue of liberty and like strikes a pose and that's the end and it's this horrible like Uh, I don't know why these films can't resist casting their critiques of the way the world is set up uh, uh, as a defense of American values. Yeah. Like just have the values. It doesn't need (laughs) to be inscribed on the Statue of Liberty, you know, just have your beliefs about justice and stop pretending that like America is the real representation of justice and uh, anything bad that happens is contravenes, you know, America. It's like, Liberal patriotism is a very, very irritating instinct <laughs> that they constantly fall back on. And this time it makes no fucking sense whatsoever. What does the Statue of Liberty have to do with it? You know, yeah. just make just make your case for justice and don't drape it in the flag. It's just very irritating. Also, one weird thing about the Panama Papers, which the film did not really get into, is the extent to which this is legal and yet they still get arrested at the end. Yeah. So what is breaking the law and what's not? I mean, it's quite a critical distinction. Because the, it's the difference between, oh, there's criminals out there who we just need to set the police on and uh, actually the entire system is irreparably corrupt and we need to change the whole thing, you know? And it's kind of suggests that it's all legal but wrong, but at the same time, they still get arrested and their law firm gets shut down. I feel like the film was not sufficiently clear about exactly what that yeah what was going, like what the deal was with that.
1: It's just like kind of
0: a bit confused
1: and confusing I would say it's like mm. oh, it's, it's trying everything in a sort of like throwing off things at the wall something will stick but yeah like you say like the the early message is like things are corrupt poor people get fucked over isn't it like, I mean you know you can tell me that in one minute not ninety.
0: yeah I would watch just the Antonio Banderas and Gary Oldman scenes like quite happily but <laughs> I didn't care what they were saying I was just every scene they've got a new rich guy outfit on and they're always matching. Yeah. And they, they sort of basically delivering monologues, but flicking between the two of them and sort of smiling and looking into the camera. And I was like, my two dads. <laughs> I, I hope they're supernovas like this. <laughs> <laughs> I was like,
1: this is great. Yeah. If only they'd been, it'd been revealed they were a couple, that would have been, like, really been Oh, they should have been
0: smooching. <laughs> oh, smooching. <laughs> they should have been uh, caressing each other and hugging. And caressing fondling. and fondling. <laughs> Sque- <laughs> squeezing and stroking. <laughs>
1: oh, a man can dream. Yeah. A man can dream.
2: My favourite film stars Bridget Bardo. She's the queen, but she wants to be in radio.
0: So she starts a podcast with her friends and the terrorists try to stop her, but she beats them in the end. 200th episode. It's a big milestone for film chat. We have done very little to market except, <laughs> except reference it. So uh, any, do you have any reflections on you know, 200 episodes in? How do you feel... Like it's gone. What would you do differently next time? You know, what should we do for the next two hundred? Um, I think maybe just
1: continue how we're doing no. Don't change. Just don't change. Just do at not all. change anything. Yeah, don't change. There's one thing I know is that the only thing that's permanent is the lack of change.
0: That is a really good point. <laughs> I like I'd like the podcast to be reassuringly undifferentiated, never moving on or developing.
1: You know how like, you know, the the most successful film podcast is the Mayo and Kermode. Kermode one and they don't change their format at all Haven't done for like 50 years, and there's nothing stale or boring about it now no there certainly isn't
0: <laughs> it's just as thrilling as it was when presumably they first started maybe we
1: should get some more celebs in you know some more interviews can't we get Kenneth Branner in or something and tell him he's a genius
0: I know? would love to get Kay Branagh <laughs> in and suck up to him enormously Tom, yeah. uh, to me he is Shakespeare <laughs> I, never... saw, I saw all is true and I was like it is true you are Shakespeare <laughs> <laughs> it's a level of acting that's good. He
1: just—he was being. Absolutely, it was astonishing.
0: Yeah, yeah. If Shakespeare was it. alive today, you would have directed Thor, I think. It's like not as well. <laughs> <laughs> not nearly as well. Not though. as well as Kay Brown said. Anyway, S- see you next week. See you next week, guys. And here's to the next. The next two hundred. So we're we going to be what twenty twenty five or something like that. Twenty twenty five, baby, baby. All right. Bye. Goodbye.
1: Bye.
2: There, there are really a number of uh, wonderful film. My my fear, more than fear, my observation is that uh, the filmmakers of substance need support. Yeah. And the problem is. Um, the uh, amusement park films. The problem is that, which is something that's been pointed out for the past number of years now, but now I think, uh, in effect, uh, they, they've got real cinema on the run, so to speak. There's no, it's very difficult for films of substance or attempted, uh, how should I say, I don't want to use the word personal vision, but I have. Uh, it doesn't mean it's not entertaining, right? But uh, these, these projects, uh, uh, where can they be shown? Where can they be shown if the theaters are taken over by the um, uh, well made, uh, beautifully made uh, animated pictures, in a sense? Uh, you know? Animated pictures. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not. I was thinking, I was saying this in New York, and uh, people were saying, oh, you don't like those films. It's something really to like them. First of all, I haven't seen many. I tried to, but I, I wasn't interested. Uh, the thing about it is that they seem to be creating, it's another form. Hmm. It's another form, and their theaters were almost like amusement parks in a sense. So these films now, I think, are more like theme rides, in a way, and it's a different experience for an audience. Now that audience could also appreciate narrative film,
0: mm-hmm. uh,
2: narrative, or a narrative could be a film that could be made by the uh, the Turkish filmmaker Ceylon. or, or as I say, Joanna Hogg, uh, or, or uh, you know. Uh, different types of pictures um, that don't necessarily depend on uh, heavy special effects and, uh, 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 how should I put it, comic book heroes.